You know, there, there are some interesting facts, um, you know, about the Bible that we sometimes will, you know, maybe give uh, as trivial things. Uh, you know, the, a lot of people are surprised to learn, you know, that the, the chapters in our Bibles, you know, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, uh, those really weren't uh, put in place till around the, the year 1227 A.D. And the verses that go correspond to the Bible uh, weren't um, relevant until around 1555 A.D., and, you know, that might be surprising to some individuals. Uh, the book of Psalms uh, is an interesting uh, tidbit that, you know, the, the, the shortest chapter in the, our English Bibles is Psalm 117. And the longest chapter in our English Bibles is Psalm 119. Well, smack dab in the middle, Psalm 118 is actually the middle chapter of, of our English Bibles. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll say, you know, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? And our kids love to, to quote that because Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. You know, that's a, that's a favorite of my children when asking them to, revert or to give a, a scripture. Uh, the book of Esther. You know, a lot of people are surprised to know that uh, the name God is not found at all uh, in that book. Now, we see God providentially throughout it, throughout the 10 chapters, but God is not named uh, throughout the scriptures. And even in the New Testament, you know, we might ask someone, well, how many, how many wise men were there in the New Testament? And I think uh, when visiting baby Jesus and a lot of us will automatically think three. But of course, scripture doesn't actually tell us. You know, there were the three gifts that were left for him, and so a lot of people uh, associate that with the number of people. But when one reads through the entire Bible, they may sh be shocked to learn that the, the word Christian, the designated Christian, is only found a few times. Three times, actually. It only appears three times in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, and 1 Peter four sixteen. And so we may ask ourselves uh, this evening, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Well, a Christian, if we were to dissect that word, uh, Christ, of course, is from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. And this is um, the, the Old Testament equivalent of the Messiah. Christ is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. In the Old Testament, when they would anoint individuals with oil, it symbolized being set apart, symbolized for a special role. And we read that the prophets and the priests and the kings were anointed. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled all three of those roles. And then we look at the suffix at the end of the word Christian, the I-A-N, and that just signifies ownership. Right now, now that I am a uh, resident of the state of Kentucky, I'm a Kentuckian. Right? We, we put that I-A-N at the end to signify ownership. And so putting those two together, a Christian is one who is the property of Christ. He, belong, he or she belongs to Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, this implies that Christians, ones who belong to Christ, they belong to Christ all week long, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, uh, but all week long. He bought us. He, he's not renting us, but he bought us with his blood. And, and we may think, well, where did this term Christian originate? Some believe it was used by an insult 
uh, of the enemies of Christians. And that's where it came about. Uh, others, uh, have, or even fewer, contend that the disciples adopted this name themselves. But Scripture actually tells us and points to us where this term originated. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 11, verse 26 in a moment. And if you want to flip there right now, that, that would be great. But in, in that verse, it says that the Christians, or that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And that word there, called, in the Greek, it refers to, and it's exclusively used in the New Testament for a divine calling. It's not simply that I picked up the phone and called somebody, but that this, is, this was called by God. The, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah said, had a lot to say about this as well. Isaiah Verse 50, or chapter 56, verse 5 says, Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And in chapter 62, verse 2, he said, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. And of course, this makes sense. This fits to a T that this name would be Christian. A new name, everlasting name. You know, throughout the New Testament, when we read of descriptions of the believers, they're referred to as brethren, as disciples, as saints. But again, many are shocked to learn that this word Christian is only found three times. But that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Because as the church grew in Acts chapter 8, as you know, the Christians were being persecuted and they started to scatter and disperse. And as they went, they preached the word. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 10 and 11, the Gentiles are now entering into the church. This new designation, this term Christian, starts to spread. It's a special name. No other name so honors Christ while also at the same time reminding us of our debt to him. Right? He, we belong to him. We are the property of Christ. And so what I want to do this evening is look at, three, at these three scriptures um, that, that use the word Christian. And we'll notice some things about that, that that scripture lets us know. And so, again, Acts chapter eleven twenty six is the first time we're going to see that, that this... Uh, word is used in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It reads, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so just to kind of give a little bit of context of what's going on, we read about those Christians in Acts chapter 8 who were persecuted and scattered. They were scattering into these different locations, and one of them was the city of Antioch. And some began to preach to the Gentiles, to the Greeks there, and we're told that a large number of them believed, and word got back to Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? He was the son of encouragement. Uh, that we read about earlier in the book of Acts. And he goes, he goes to Antioch and he's rejoicing at what he is seeing. He is rejoicing and he is encouraging them. And he quickly, he goes off and finds uh, Paul. He finds Paul and he brings him back to Antioch. And there we're told they stay for a year and they teach. And the disciples there were first called Christians in Antioch. Well, what is a disciple? 
A disciple is simply a word meaning a learner, somebody who is learning. See, Christianity is a taught religion. It's a taught religion. In John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45, Jesus said that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then he says, and they shall be all taught of God. Everyone who had heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, Jesus says that, that, that to learn about God, that you're going to hear and you're going to learn from the Father. Of course, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 20, when, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. See, Jesus wasn't just concerned about, about baptizing uh, the, the, the believers, but also teaching them, teaching them all that I have uh, taught you. See, one, one does not become a Christian by dreams or visions. Again, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and the truth will set you free. If you are uh, true, if you continue in my word, if you continue in it, if you practice it, you hear it and you do it, then you are truly disciples of mine. Again, it's not through any other means. Uh, becoming a disciple of Christ, Christianity, again, it's a taught religion. The process of becoming and being a Christian is a, is a learning process. It's always ongoing. Second Peter 3, 18 Peter says there that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, this is a continual thing. We continue to learn about Christ, about God through the scriptures. And as we continue to learn, we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. And a disciple is also, in the, in the context of a Christian disciple, he is a follower of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 Peter here says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ is an example for us. This, this word example, it's pretty interesting. It's the only time uh, that this Greek word is used as translated follow. And what it means is that uh, it's, it's like a child who, with his pencil, he's tracing out his letters He's producing this, this pattern, and, and you know, he sees the original, but he's tracing over it. And as Christians, we are to seek Christ as our example. In no way will we ever be that perfect example that Christ was for us, but we trace those letters. Right? We are trying to be just as Christ did. And he is our standard. He is what we measure up to. A great question for us to ask is, can we look back on our lives five years ago and ask ourselves, do I look more like Jesus today? Do I look more like that example, that pattern for us? And the standard of Christian conduct, of course, is Jesus Christ. It's not worldly philosophies. It's not the law of Moses because Jesus came and, and he took that out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. It's not the crowd. Right? It's not the popular vote. None of those things. But it's Jesus Christ. And, and we read throughout Scripture that some disciples, some of the disciples who were following Jesus, actually were only temporary followers. 
They followed because they knew Jesus could give them something physically. Uh, like when he uh, produced the, the bread and the loaves and the fish. But discipleship, we read, means counting the cost. It means counting the cost. Uh, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, Jesus says, cannot be my disciple. You, you've got to carry your cross, he says. You've got to count the cost. You know, who's going to build a building without sitting down first and, and seeing if you have enough money to construct the building? Or who's going to go into battle against an, another king without first making sure you have enough, uh, enough of an army to go up against them? Jesus says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And Jesus demands to be first place in our lives. And so, as we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 26 here, that Luke, through inspiration, tells us that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The second passage where we see the word Christian used is in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Here, Paul is standing on trial before King Agrippa, and, and Governor uh, Festus is there as well. And if you remember this account... In Acts chapter 26, that Paul is relaying the things that have happened to him, how he was converted, how he, be, he was baptized, and, and his sins were washed away. And he comes before Agrippa, and, and he's telling him these things, and Festus kind of bursts up and says, You're mad, Paul. You are mad. You're, you know, you're crazy for saying these things. And, and Paul says, No, I, that is not the case. That's not the case. And he says... And then Agrippa says to Paul in verse 28, says, you know, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. So the Christian is one who is persuaded. The Christian is convinced in his mind that Christianity is true. Paul said that he sought to persuade men. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, he was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And then he says that all men are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And then he says in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Right? Paul is saying, uh, because of this, because that we're all going to stand before the Lord one day at the judgment seat of Christ, we persuade men. We know that th this day is going to be a great day and, and that we want all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so it is our job to persuade uh, individuals not only is the Christian convinced in his mind that Christianity is true, but he's also persuaded that he can live the Christian life. That he can live the Christian life and that it's worth the price that one must pay to become a Christian. Sacrificing everything. Again, taking up that cross. We, we see Paul in Philippians chapter 3. You know, he talks about how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, he was a Pharisee. He, he was this great leader within uh, the Jewish sect. But then he tells us that he counts all of those things now as rubbish. Right? He basically, he threw all of those things away because now he had a relationship with Christ. Those things never mattered anymore. And, it's, and Paul was persuaded, but it's hard to persuade individuals today. You know, in business, uh, many attempt to persuade by advertising. Right? Uh, we we want to market our product uh, we spend millions persuading customers that they need this product, that they don't have it and they need it, and they need to know that they are missing something. And we're persuaded on the basis of need. What greater need 
than Christianity, than being a Christian. See, a Christian has security. Right? Life is short. It's but a vapor. There is salvation in no one else, Acts 4, verse 12, other than Jesus Christ. And, and the Christian has that one hope, that one hope uh, of heaven. And the Christian has purpose. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14 says that we need to fear God and keep his commandments. Right? Fear God and keep his commandments. Ephesians 2.10, we have been created for good works. That's the purpose of a Christian. And a Christian also has happiness and he has peace. Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28 towards the end of the chapter. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we can't find security or purpose or peace anywhere other than Jesus Christ. Paul tells Agrippa, if you're still in Acts chapter 26, look at, look at verse 18, what he tells him, how he's marketing uh, being a Christian. He says in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, these are the things that you're missing out on. He says, to, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. For the Christian, we can market this as well. We can market this to, to the world who, who is lost that we can offer through Jesus Christ to come out of darkness and into the light. To come out of the domain, the domain of Satan into to God's domain. To, to receive forgiveness of sins and receive an inheritance one day. See, Christians are persuaded that Christ not, not only offers something better... But he is the only way to it. He is, he is the only way to it. The final verse that we see in Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, that mentions the word Christian. We're going to notice a couple of things here uh, this evening. There are, there are a couple of aspects here of the Christian. But I want to start in verse 15 to get the context of, of this verse. 1 Peter chapter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. And so the first thing he, he says is that we are one, Christians are one who is willing to suffer. See, some suffering in this life is, is the result of living in a world that has physical pain and death and emotion. These things are unpreventable, right? We have no control over it. But there are some suffering in this world that's the result of foolish and sinful living, poor choices in life. These are preventable. He actually says here, Peter actually says this, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. These are things that are preventable. But some suffer in the result of doing God's will. He says in verse 16, let it, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. We talked a little bit about this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul said, All who live godly shall 
um, shall suffer, shall, shall go have persecution. And again, this, this could be some form of unjust criticism, of you know, evil statements, or maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's pain. But the, the world hates Christianity because godliness exposes ungodliness. It, just like a bright light expose, exposes flaws, Christianity uh, exposes the ungodliness of the world. You know, the scriptures in a few places are, are compared to a mirror. First uh, uh, Corinthians 13 and 12 and James chapter 1 verse 23 talks about how the scriptures are like a mirror, right? Uh, when we read uh, through them, uh, we can see imperfections in our lives. We, uh, it showcases our imperfections. Just like when we look in the mirror and maybe our hair is out of place, uh, maybe... Um, Maybe we have something on our face and we get rid of that because we can see that in a mirror. The scriptures are the same way. They're a mirror to the soul. A Christian is willing to suffer for the Lord's sake. Again, those early Christians were persecuted. And we read about the apostles who were persecuted and they suffered. And, and, but what did they do? They rejoiced. Remember, where there is only sunshine, there's, there is a desert. It takes a few storms along the way. Right? Uh, the, those storms of life are going to grow uh, our, our faith in Christ. And the last part that we see here in the verse, uh, a Christian is one who is not ashamed. He is not ashamed. Again, um, look at the last part of that. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. He is not ashamed of the Lord's word. Being a Christian means I am in Christ. I am faithful to his church. I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm also a doer. I have been baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm preparing for eternal life right now in this life. And we are not ashamed of the gospel, as Paul says. And we are not ashamed to be part of a religious minority. Again, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Lord, or said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? There are going to be religious folk who are not going to make it into heaven one day. Because they did not follow uh, the commands of our Lord and Savior. There's a, a song, a hymn that sometimes we sing. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Uh, listen to the lyrics here. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor defend his cause. Maintain the honors of his word, the glory of his cross. Firm as his throne, his promises stand. And he can well secure what I've committed to his hands till the decisive hour. Then we w he will own my worthless name before his father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint for me a place. As Christians, we are not to be ashamed. We are not to be ashamed. And you might be thinking, well, you know, it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to go and talk to individuals about my faith. And, um, you know, I've never been good at doing that. Well, take it easy. You know, take it easy. Start easy. Start from uh, somewhere smaller. You know, outside my office there, we have a track rack with hundreds of tracks that are just sitting there. You know, take one of those. Leave it at the doctor's office. Give it to a friend. Mail it to a friend. You know, I, I've seen people put them at the gas pumps. Just leave them there for people to take. You know, th that's an easy step. Uh, Share our information on social media, right? We have been blessed to have uh, this technology in the world today that we can reach you know, millions and millions of people through technology. You know, share, share the sermons. You know, share uh, the, uh, our assembly times. 
You know, are we using these tools wisely that we have? Don't be ashamed, right? But rather, he says here at the end of the verse, but glorify God in this matter. Let others know who you belong to. This term Christian, again, uh, it may only be in Scripture three times, but the name is impactful to the world. It's a shame that so many in the religious world today who claim to be followers of Christ choose to bear a name of a man-made religion rather than being a Christian. I just want to be a Christian. You just want to be a Christian. The Christian is one who glorifies God. And we glorify God by being a disciple of God's Son. We glorify God by living for God. We are His disciples. We are persuaded. We suffer for His sake. And we are not ashamed for the world to know where we stand and for what we stand for. See, it's a privilege. It's a privilege as the the bride of Christ, as the church, as the body of Christ, who is the bride of Christ, to wear the bridegroom's name. We are Christians. And that's that's all we want to be. So we've noticed what it takes to be a Christian uh, this evening, but, or, or, or some aspects of being a Christian. But uh, to become a Christian, the Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God, to, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to uh, repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and God will add you uh, to his church. And if we can help anyone here tonight who, who has not uh, made that response a known who, who is ready to become a Christian and a Christian only, we would love the opportunity to, to help you uh, with that this evening. If there are those here within the congregation who, who need the prayers of this church, who are struggling, who, who are struggling with their, their daily walk as a Christian, again, there's no better place uh, to ask for that forgiveness uh, or, and to ask for that encouragement and strength than with the body of believers here, with the, the Christians here. If we can help you in any way this evening, we'd ask that you come forward as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.